0: Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 32 through 51 as we uh, continue uh, looking at this dialogue that, uh, of Jesus teaching in the temple uh, during the Feast of Booths. We, we looked at part of the dialogue uh, last Sunday, and we'll be uh, looking at uh, the conclusion of that dialogue uh, this morning. I want to make you aware of a resource that we're launching here at Wyatt um starting a week from tomorrow it's called the wyatt primer um and it's something just to prepare you for sunday maybe if you're uh not in the habit of being in the word every day this is an email that will come to you uh probably before you wake up uh that will have uh, a text of scripture to read uh a, a one question to get you to think about that text and then a prayer uh, written out that that is inspired by that text that you can either use or kind of make your make a prayer of of your own and there will also be a dinner table question uh, for you to ask your family uh, if you have kids for you to at dinner or on the way to ball practice to just be able to talk a little bit about Sunday's message and so I realized that it's actually supposed to be pronounced Wyatt Primer but I knew if I said that most of you would say he's saying it wrong so if you're an English teacher or something I I know that it's Primer uh, but Wyatt uh, Primer is what we're going to call it because that's what everybody's going to say anyway so I just wanted to to clear that up. Uh, You should uh, if we have your email on file Uh, you should have received an invitation Friday that has a link we'll send another one out this week there's also one on Facebook if you would like to be a part uh, of that weekly email the Wyatt Primer so John chapter 7 starting with verse 32 Uh, just to grab a a quick bit of context Jesus has just given some The people were worked up wondering who is this guy is he Really, the Christ and, and Jesus does some teaching and and and, uh, and makes some claims, and part of the crowd wants to arrest him, and part of the crowd is believing. Uh, so that's what is happening uh, in verse thirty-two. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, "I will be with you a little longer." And then I'm going to Him who sent Me. You will seek Me and you will not find Me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek Me and you will not find Me. And where I am, you cannot come. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why do you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was. Uh, one of them said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Uh, Growing up, uh, one of my favorite movies was the comedic masterpiece Three Amigos. It's true, Jessica Brown. It's true. And she... We've argued over this since we were in college that it's a great movie. She thinks it's a dumb movie. I think it's hilarious. And one of my favorite scenes from that movie is when uh, the, our heroes, the three amigos, uh, played by Martin Sheen, and, uh, or Martin Short, I'm sorry, I always get those two confused, Martin Short, Chevy Chase, and uh, I drew a blank. Steve Martin, one of the greatest. And so they're out in the desert and you could tell that they've been out there a while and they're very thirsty. You can just see they've got, I mean, just their faces are covered in sand and you could just tell they're incredibly thirsty. They've been without water a while. So amigo number one takes out his canteen, turns it up, a drop comes out. And then you just, you see the desperation in his face. The second amigo turns his canteen up. It's even worse. Sand pours out of the canteen into his mouth. He starts coughing up this sand. And then the third amigo, he turns up his canteen and water just pours out of this canteen. And he's he's just gulping it and gulping it. You know, it's a comedy. More water than this canteen could possibly hold. Just comes pouring out. And he, he takes it, he, he gargles it, and he, he spits it out, and then he just throws the canteen aside where water just continues to pour out into that sandy, dry ground. And he takes a, a Carmex bottle and, and takes it up and, and begins to put some wax on his lips, and his friends are looking there in desperation, like, what have you done? And he says, I, I'm sorry, guys, lip balm? And you just see the guys go... You, you, you're wasting water. and we, we, We're dying here. And I think that, that comedic scene really sets the stage for life. I mean, it shows us what life is like. Uh, without Christ, we are all thirsty. We all realize that we don't have the satisfaction we need. That we turn up some things and there's a drop in it and it doesn't satisfy We turn up other things to try to find satisfaction and it's just, it's sand. It makes us even more thirsty. And the big question is, is there there something out there that can really satisfy me? Is there something that could really not just be what I need, but be more than what I need? And the answer to that is yes. What I want to talk about this morning is that despite human opposition and disbelief jesus christ becomes an abundant source of life for all who do believe in him and so the first thing that happens here is that jesus makes known where he is going so as the leaders kind of hear hey there's some people that are starting to believe uh the pharisees get the the police now These were likely temple police, just people that were in charge, kind of security guards, if you will, in charge of the temple. And so they say, you've got to go and arrest this man. People are starting to believe in what he's saying, and so you need to go arrest him. And, And likely what they told them was, look for a good opportunity. When you get a good opportunity, snatch him up and let's arrest him. And, and I love this. They come and, and, and they're, they're coming, getting you know, wanting to arrest him. And this is what Jesus says in verse 33. I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. I love this. Jesus is sitting there talking to people that are looking for an opportunity to, to arrest him. And essentially what he says is, uh, you can. I'm here, and I'm going to do my thing. The Father has sent me. And when I'm done, then I'll go. I'm going to go on my own accord. You're not going to have anything to do with what I do. I'm going to do my ministry, and when it's time, then I'm going back to be with my Father. I'm going to Him. Jesus is telling them, you're going to have me a little longer. And and I I believe in this is is He's telling them of the opportunity, right? That, That they are taking for granted because there will come a time when they will look for Him. And they're going to realize, man, the Messiah, that was Him. That was Him. We missed out on Him. We could have been one of His disciples. We could have sat under His teaching and He's gone now. Some in this room have been given opportunity after opportunity to receive Christ who satisfies. To receive that Christ who satisfies, right? You've been given opportunity. That's the thing about water, is if you're in a a desert climate, uh, you better take the opportunity. When you go buy some water, you better fill your canteen up. Because who knows, especially in your land you have not explored, who knows when the next source of water is going to come. And yet there are many in this room, likely, who have time after time after time again had the opportunity to receive the all-satisfying Christ. And you've said, not right now. Not today. Maybe some other time. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason to wait. But be careful. Be careful. Because the truth, the reality is, folks, is that none of us deserve to hear the Gospel one time. We don't deserve to hear it once. And for many of us to have heard it over and over and over again is an opportunity beyond what we should receive. And it's an opportunity that may not be there forever. You may be cut, Your life may be cut short. Before you have that opportunity, or maybe through the the moments of where you just harden your heart time and time and time again, then maybe there's a time where I mean, you just walk away and you don't want another opportunity, and you die in your sins and so what I want you to to think about is that Don't miss the opportunity of the all-satisfying Christ. Don't put Him away again today. Don't put it off anymore. If you you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you are seeing that, yes, yes, there's beauty here, there is satisfaction in Christ, there is a way to meet my thirst in this man. Don't put it off. I love this here. Then their reply to the, the fact that Jesus is going, it's, it's interesting because it's meant to kind of go, Jesus. He said, They say, Where are you going? Are you going to go out to the dispersion? Are you going to go out away from Jerusalem into, into where all the uh, Jews that have left us and aren't really around us anymore? Are you going to go out far off where we can't follow you? And it's interesting because what they, what they meant to goad Him is actually a great prophecy of what's going to happen. That Christ's gospel is going to go out. It is going to not just go out to the dispersed of the Jews, but it's going to go out into all the nations. That now, 2,000 years later, we have missionaries still laying down their lives to take the gospel to people that so desperately need it. And I just love that what's meant to be a joke on their part is actually in many ways a prophecy of what's going to happen. And let us be those that take that gospel out to the people that, so, that are so desperately thirsty. And, and starting in verse 27, which I believe is really the meat here, uh, because it's really Christ's invitation. So we see here that Jesus offers himself t- to us as the source of living waters for our thirst. It says on ver- in verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice that Jesus, just time and time again, is, is finding new and expressive ways to offer himself to people. Right? He's been talking about the fact that he's the bread of life, and, and now he kind of returns back to kind of uh, the picture he was using with the woman at the well, which is he is the source of water that can truly, truly quench thirst and once again it seems out of the blue until we understand the context of of in which Jesus is preaching and that context is the feast of booths okay here's what we need to know and to understand that this water is Picture that Jesus uses is not out of the blue, but it's very familiar to the people that he's talking to. And because this is what part of the Feast of Booths looked like every morning during the seven day feast, every morning a priest would come out of the temple and he would be carrying a golden pitcher, okay. And he would go down the hill to the source of water to, to, to scoop up the water. And as he did this, there was all kinds of fanfare. There was a choir, okay, that, that quoted Isaiah 12, 3, uh, which they, they sang this. It says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So these peop this choir was singing this, and then the, the the people, the crowd that were gathered there, they would they would grab a branch, two branches, a, a a tree branch in one hand, and then a fruit tree branch in the other, and they would go behind the processional, behind the priest that had the water pitcher, and they would, uh, they would actually sing Psalm 113 through 118 that, that speaks of water and, and salvation and such. So they would, they would do this all the way back to the temple, and then they would pour that water out for the, the daily sacrifice. And, and the interesting thing is, is that on the last day, on the final day of this feast, they did this seven times. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that would take a while, right? It would probably be almost the whole morning. Just time and time again, the, the, the priest would come out with the pitcher, go down, get the water with everyone singing about the water of salvation, and then they would go back to the temple and pour it out. Seven times, they did this on the final day. Knowing this, does this not make Jesus' statement seem a little more bolder to you? This daily ritual to rejoice in the water of salvation of God. And and on this day, you've watched seven times as they declared, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus stands up and He says, whoever believes in Me will flow rivers of salvation. You are surrounded by people that want to arrest you or worse, and you point to this amazing picture that is to show salvation that's been going on all morning and you say, you know what? I am the river of salvation. I am the waters, the source of satisfaction for the thirsty. It's me. This thing you've been watching, it's a sign pointing to me. What boldness to declare such a thing. These signs are the essence I am. Or these signs are pictures I am the essence of salvation. We see here that His call goes out to the entire crowd. I love that it says that he cries out. I don't know, maybe the procession's still going on, so he has to get loud so people would hear it. Or, and, or more than likely, he just wants everyone to hear it. And you know, we're, we're dealing with the crowd here. That some of them want him gone. Some of them are believing in him. And he doesn't take the believers over to the side and say, okay, you guys are starting to believe, let's go over here. Hey, I'm, I'm the source of salvation. I'm the water that satisfies. No, he doesn't do that. He calls out to both those who were still unbelieving and those who were believing, and he says, I am the water of salvation. Hey, even if you're not believing yet, there's a moment, there's an opportunity here for you to change your mind about me. He cries out, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone in this crowd, thirst let him come to me all all you need and i love the prerequisite for his salvation here what do you need for salvation thirst thirst that's all you need to go to Christ is a spiritual thirst that knows That he is the source of satisfaction. Friend, if you're here apart from Christ, the invitation is so simple. You need not bring the works you have, you need not bring a list of works that you're going to do for God. All you need to do to come to Christ is to come with a need. With realizing your need and believing that Christ can meet that need. That's all you need. What an amazing... That's why it's the good news. It's for anyone that needs it. Isn't that humbling and beautiful all at the same time is that All we need is our need. We see here that that Christ offers Himself as more than sufficient. You know, the desert wanderer would give anything for even the smallest oasis. Just just give me the smallest puddle that I can put my face in or put a, a reed that I can suck up just a little nourishment for my thirsty mouth just a a sip can go a long way in that moment of desperation and yet jesus does not say i'm the drink of salvation i'm not i'm the swallow of, of salvation he doesn't say i'm the cup of the water of salvation He doesn't even say, I'm the golden pitcher. You've been seeing this golden pitcher? I'm the golden pitcher of salvation. No. He says, I am the reverse. Reverse. Plural. I'm the reverse of salvation. Of living water. Christ becomes to us not just sufficient for a momentary release. No, that's what this world offers is a momentary relief. A thirst that returns time and time and time again. No, Christ offers Himself as abundantly sufficient, of, of more than we could ever possibly need Him to be. Jesus does not quench the thirst for a moment. He is the river that we swim in that the thirsty swim in for all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? The the sufficiency and the abundantly sufficiency, abundant sufficiency of Christ. We see here, John adds some commentary as to what is behind Jesus' words here. And that is kind of what what it is that he is talking about when he speaks of these rivers of life within us. It says in verse 39, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John lets us know that the way Christ will become these rivers of life within us is through his spirit. It makes a lot of sense to me that that right after he's talking about going away eventually. Then he turns to the subject of the Spirit. That he's alluding to the Spirit because that's a theme. That's a theme in the, in the Gospels is that when Jesus talks about going away, he, he wants to make it clear that I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you alone. But I'm sending you my Spirit. Here's what it says uh, in John sixteen seven. It says, uh, he'll say this later in this Gospel we're looking at, Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. So there are so many of us, me included, that on the surface, if you were to ask me what's better, what you have right now, are the bodily presence of Christ, like he was there with his disciples when he walked the earth. What would you prefer? And on the surface, I would so want to say, man, I I want the bodily presence of Christ. I want him like the disciples had him. And yet, that goes against what Jesus says here. He says it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send this helper to you and it's going to be better for you. Isn't that amazing? That he says what we have right now folks in in his spirit living within us is better than what the disciples had when jesus bodily walked with him that's crazy to me and yet it's here in the scriptures as truth but my fear is is that because of those of those who abuse the doctrine of the holy spirit we as good baptists tend to not know what to do with them with him Think about that for a moment. And there are many who abuse the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and, and they get their strange things that they, they claim come from the Spirit. And so we as good Baptists say, oh, I don't, I don't want any of that. And I think we back off way too far from the Spirit. I mean, think about this. I mean, there are many people who tw- twist the doctrine of Christ. But do we go, oh, I don't know about this christ character no we don't do that with the christ but with the spirit for some reason we say "Eh, i'm not sure i get that and folks it's worse than throwing the baby out with the bathwater. we're throwing a member of the trinity to the side and it's the the trinity that is been promised to live in us to help us that the scriptures call us to walk in constantly So I would encourage you to, in light of these verses, to to pray that the Spirit would be stronger within you. Study out the Spirit in the Scriptures. Pray that you would be helped to walk in the Spirit as the Scripture tells us time and time again, to walk in the Spirit. Pray constantly that God would help you to know and experience the full benefits of Christ through His Spirit. So as, as Jesus launched this uh offensive against uh their the falsehoods of the Pharisees, here comes the counteroffensive after he says these things and again the police the temple police kind of go back and say Man he's, these are some amazing words he's speaking and we just couldn't find an opportunity to arrest him. And uh the Pharisees are or irritated by that. And so there's this this uh, counter-offensive launched against the truth that Jesus has made. And we see here a few things that they use. They use assumptions. They go back to this tired argument that Jesus is from Galilee. And they just assume that you know, they start talking about, hey, the Messiah is going to come from David's town of Bethlehem. And they just assume that Jesus has no connection to Bethlehem. Now, do they stop and ask, hey, Jesus, can we get something clear now? You know, okay, you say you're the Messiah. The Messiah has a strong connection to the, or, his origin is in Bethlehem. Can you tell us about that? And of course, we know that Christ was born in Bethlehem. It's a vital, crucial, testified part of his birth that he was born in Bethlehem. But they don't care. They just want to assume that he's not telling the truth. And so we're not even going to ask any questions of him. Honest seekers desire to get to the truth. We see in this crowd Nicodemus. This is a man who came to Jesus with questions and walked away informed about the new birth available in Christ these people just desired to rest on their assumptions the people that didn't believe they they wanted to continue to not believe and we see here that we see here that they also use this method of pride they build themselves up as, hey, we know the truth. Look what, look what they say in verse 49. And they also say, uh, before this they say, hey, has any of us Pharisees believed in him? They tell the temple police, hey, is any, are any of us believing in him? We know what's right for, for Israel. If none of us are believing in him, then he can't be the Messiah. And then they say in verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're essentially saying, these people are dumb. We'll tell you when the Messiah comes. You don't worry about this guy. We'll, you don't even worry about the Word of God. You listen to us. We'll tell you when the Messiah is coming. And compare this to Jesus. Back last week in verse 17, this is what Jesus says. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. You see the confidence here? Jesus actually puts confidence in the crowd, the people that He created that, hey, if you'll submit your will to God and you'll really look at what I'm teaching, then God's going to show you. And then we have these people that don't want to know the truth and what do they say? You listen to us. We'll tell you what the Word says. We'll tell you when the Messiah comes. Folks, if you ever hear us as pastors of Wyatt ever saying don't read your Bible, we'll tell you what it says, head for the hills. Truth no longer lives here. Because the priesthood of all believers, of those that submit themselves to the Word of God, uh, we as pastors have confidence in you that you can know the truth, that you can grow. And sure, we want to help you with our sermons and our lessons, but we also have confidence in your personal walk with Christ. But they said, don't listen to Him. Don't listen to your Bible. Listen to us. And the last kind of method they use is shame to try to downplay the truth. It says in verse 50, Nicodemus, okay? Of course, we know Nicodemus is the man who came to, to Christ at night and, and asked him some questions about, hey, what, you know, basically, what are you doing here? Like, you seem to, to have some good things to say. You seem to be doing some miraculous things. Can you, can you tell me what you're about? And, and, of course, Jesus taught him about the new birth. So Nicodemus is in this crowd, and it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Nicodemus rises in defense. Of Jesus, but it 's not even really a defense He basically just says, "Hey, according to our law, can't we just hear him out? I mean I, I tend to think that maybe, but at this point maybe Nicodemus had had believed I don't know for sure, but he says let 's hear him out, and they treat Nicodemus so badly as if you're uninformed, you don't know what you're talking about. But th- who is most informed here? The Pharise- these Pharisees who have never probably actually talked to Jesus or the Pharisee who sat down with him one night and asked him some questions and heard about the new birth. Who's most informed here? But when you're trying to cover up the truth, when you're trying to put down the truth, you, you don't ask those questions. You shame people who ask questions. God is big enough for our questions, folks. Search things out on your own and don't let people shame you for searching for the truth. So folks, despite human opposition and disbelief, Jesus Christ becomes an abundant source of life for all who believe Him. Folks, in the desert of life, there's only one thing that will truly satisfy. There's only one thing that will actually go beyond what we need. And that is Christ. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you and uh, as Jesus encouraged the people, this is an opportunity. I am with you and I'm offering, yourself to, I'm offering myself to you for all who are thirsty, who know that they need me, I'm offering myself to you. If you would believe in me, he says, as the Scriptures say, if you'll believe in me, you will be satisfied. And I would encourage you not to wait another second, not to put it off another minute, certainly not another day, but respond to the satisfying Christ. And believer, I think there's some truth here as far as God's Spirit. How is your pursuit of knowing God through his spirit the the indwelling spirit of God is it something that you're I mean you're you're putting at arm's length a a member of the trinity that's huge and so maybe this morning when when we do our responsive time maybe you need to come uh, down front or where you are and just pray through that and just say God I want to know your spirit within me I want to I want to know what it means to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up. And I also want you to think about someone in your life. Is there someone in your life that's thirsty? That you know they're thirsty. That you know they're, they're looking in all kinds of, of areas, turning up all kinds of canteens, trying to find something that would satisfy And they're just not finding it. Christian, you know. You know the truth. You know what they need. Maybe you need to take some time this morning and pray for that person. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to talk to that person about this satisfaction that comes through Christ and Christ alone. I ask you to respond however God has placed on your heart to respond this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Christ, the all-satisfying source of living water. God, we, even as Christians, God, we turn to things we shouldn't turn to, not realizing that the Spirit within us is the source of all that we're looking for in this world god if there's anyone here who doesn't know you who hasn't turned to you as their satisfaction in their thirst god i pray that they would respond this moment while you are here calling them in jesus name i pray